Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in a tourism town? How about a tourism town on the beach? How about a tourism town on the beach in Nicaragua? If so, you've come to the right place. Like most people, I used to have a steady job. I worked my butt off, chasing my tail, always looking forward to the next vacation. One day, I decided that I needed to embed myself into a vacation indefinitely, and so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town of about 15,000 on the Pacific coast. I have a small sailboat charter business that covers my bills and leaves a bit left over to fund my habits. Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, a mid-30s Texas guy and his two trusty Labrador-looking mutts set out on adventures as they stumble through paradise, trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. And believe me, they're not exactly camouflage. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or so minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Let your dream just to watch them shatter You're just a step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away In the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in And the tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll your way Working nine to five You know those days when you wake up and right off the bat, you know it's going to be a rough day. That is my today. I woke up this morning about 7.30. Everything was going fine. Power had clipped off a couple times through the night, but I managed to remain sweat free. So it had been a good night with the expectations of the rest of the day being good. Jump out of bed a little bit excited about this brisket that I have. I'll go into more details about that later. But I got a brisket that I want to cook, so I jump up, I start building a fire, I get the brisket all seasoned up and ready to go, throw it on the grill. This is about a 30-minute process start to finish. Nothing's gone wrong yet, but then I decide I want to cook some eggs. But not just regular eggs. I want to have eggs on top of a crispy fried corn tortilla. I had one corn tortilla in the package, and I thought, what am I going to do with one corn tortilla besides feed it to the dogs? And then I thought, I'll fry it and make it crispy and put a little bit of refried beans on it and then drop two runny eggs on top of it with some hot sauce and sprinkle some salty Nika cheese. That'll be a pretty good breakfast. So I thought, I throw the skillet on the stove, light it, put the oil in it. Oil gets hot, I fry my one corn tortilla. And I thought to myself, I don't have a chance to mess this up. i got to get it right. Pull the corn tortilla out, drain the grease off, get it hot again, and then I crack an egg. And the eggs here, if I haven't ever mentioned it on the podcast, the yolks are extremely delicate. They spread out real flat, and they don't sit up tall and plump like eggs in the U.S. or Canada. Actually, I don't know for sure that eggs in Canada do that, but I would imagine that they do. The only reason I say that is because there's probably some Canadian listeners out there who might get their feelings hurt if I didn't mention Canada. 
So I cracked the egg in the pan, bam, split yolk. I said, man, great. So I just let it cook all the way through. I scoop it out, drip grease all over the countertop. Finally throw it on a piece of paper towel. Thought that I'll feed it to the dogs when it cools off. So crack another egg, runny yolk. I thought, man, there's no way. I was super gentle. Let it cook all the way through, take it off, set it on top of the other one. Dripping grease all along the way. So the next egg, I thought, you know what? I'm going to crack this egg and put it in a coffee mug and then gently pour it into the skillet so it doesn't just plop down. So I was real careful. I cracked a shell. I pulled the top off and I slowly dumped it in there and it was runny. And I thought, okay, this yolk is busted inside the shell. So now we're up to three eggs. That raw egg got dumped in Bentley's bowl. I grabbed egg number four. Same thing, busted. And I thought, I'm going to go through this entire dozen of eggs if that's what it takes to get a yolk that's not broken. Well, I went through the entire dozen eggs. You think I ever found a yolk that wasn't broken? Nope. I don't know what the deal is, but I don't know if those eggs were old or nasty or what. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, so what? You got a dozen bad eggs. It's not the end of the world. So let's not forget about this breakfast that I had my heart set on. So let's just take that out of the equation because now that's not possible. Well, I actually, I thought it was possible because I had two eggs that were kind of old. They were in the fridge. I cracked one of them, and they stunk to high heaven. So those got thrown away. So 14 eggs down the drain. Not the end of the world, right? By this time, I'm like sweaty. I smell like brisket smoke because I've been checking on the fire. And the number one factor that really got me grumpy was all the bugs that were in my kitchen. The flies and the moths. And they're just buzzing around, and I'm sweating and the water pressure is getting low, which means there's no water in the tank, which means I'm probably going to run out of water today. And Ronnie doesn't work on Sundays. And I, like an idiot, have not learned how to activate the pump and well and all that setup. I just haven't done it yet. So shame on me. Either way, I'm getting to be right in the red zone area. About that time, the water from our coffee boils. I think to myself, I there's no way I cannot drink coffee. It's too hot. I'm sweating like a slave. Don't want the coffee. So I turn the stove off, grab the Kool-Aid pitcher out of the refrigerator, and start guzzling Kool-Aid in hopes to cool myself off. So back to breakfast. I thought, what can I do now? I've got one fried tortilla, a little bit of beans, and some crumbly cheese. Well, I'll just have the exact same thing, less the egg. And so I wasn't excited about it, but I thought to myself, okay, this will be fine. So I make it, I get everything ready to go, the plate sitting on the edge of the countertop. As I was opening the refrigerator, I reached back to grab my cup without looking at the countertop, and then I hit the plate, which was hanging over the edge, entire plate off the edge, corn tortilla upside down on the floor, dog feeding frenzy. And that's one of those moments where you think to yourself, I either go ballistic and start throwing things and destroying them, or I just take a deep breath and walk away. Had it been my own house and all my own things, I'm afraid I would have started throwing and breaking things. But since this is a rental house and none of the stuff's mine, I thought I should just take a deep breath. So I walked outside. I looked at my brisket on the grill, and I thought maybe the afternoon will be better. For anyone that knows me, you know that I am into barbecuing. I like to cook barbecue. I like to eat barbecue. I've been doing it for a long time, and it's something that's in my blood. So for the last five or six years that I've been coming down to Nicaragua, I've been struggling trying to figure out their cuts of beef. 
because they're different. For some reason here, they don't believe in cutting meat against the grain. And so you get these crazy cuts of meat that I just, I picture them cutting the meat off the bone like if I was going to grind it up and make hamburger meat out of it. But they don't. They sell it like it's steaks, and you got to figure out how to cut it up yourself to try to make it less tough. So I've thought to myself, they have no idea what a brisket is. They probably don't have any use for it. A big 10-pound cut of meat without cutting it up. There's not many people that would spend that much money on one big chunk of meat. But I was in Managua a couple weeks ago. I stopped at this little place that claimed to have Texas barbecue. And I bought some, and I tasted it. And I thought, you know, it's not half bad. The cut of meat wasn't that bad. So I asked them, I said, what's the cut of meat? And they said, pecho, which means chest, which is the same as a brisket. So I thought, you know, maybe it is the same cut. So I go to Pedro, the local town meat supplier, and I said, I'm looking for a pecho, de res, which means like the chest of beef. He goes, okay, I can have you one tomorrow. And I thought to myself, man, I'd sure like to look at it before I commit to buying it because they don't just stock odd different sizes of meat. He places his order every day for what he's going to sell the next day. And so I said, yep, okay, go ahead and get it. And I knew to myself, if it wasn't a brisket like I was thinking, I can go take it to a guy who will grind it up for me. I can have like 11 pounds of hamburger meat. So the next day it comes around, brisket shows up. I go and look at it, and I'll be darned if it didn't look like a regular brisket. 11 pounds, same shape, everything. The fat is a little bit different consistency, and it looked a lot leaner. But I thought, i got to try it. I'll kick myself if I don't try it. So I brought the brisket home, and it's now on the grill, and I'll give everyone a report next week. Actually, it might be a little bit longer. I'm leaving Thursday for a trip for like 10 days. So, But either way, I'll report on it. It just might not be next week. Last week is kind of interesting. It came time for us to do some repairs on the boat that requires it being on dry land. Well, here in San Juan del Sur, there's no facilities that can accommodate pulling the boat out of the water. They have kind of a makeshift trailer system, but they're not used to working with catamarans, which is what kind of boat we have here, which has got basically two holes instead of one. So when you think of a sailboat, you think of one big boat, it's got one big hole in the water. Catamaran's a little bit different. It's got two smaller ones. So it's extra wide compared to the length when you're looking at uh, monoholes or the regular types of sailboats that people think about. Anyway, they don't have any way to pull it out of the water. So what we have to do is we have to wait till the tide's high, drive it all the way to the beach until it's almost touching the ground, and then we hold it in place with ropes until the tide goes out, and then it's sitting on the beach. So it's always an all-day ordeal with all hands on deck. There's like six of us out there that are helping. And these days always start at 4.30 in the morning. Well, I'd kind of forgotten that a couple days before, we had all agreed to rent a little minibus and a driver and get taken to check out this semi-active volcano. And everyone does this at night because you can look down and see the lava gurgling around inside of the volcano. So I'd kind of forgotten. So we get done at the beach. I'm thinking, man... I'm glad my day's over with. I want to go home, get in the hammock, and hang out. And then I get a phone call, and it's someone asked me, hey, what time are we supposed to meet for the bus? And I was like, oh, no. And I said, uh, 5.15. When it all clicked in my head, I go, 5.15? And I looked down at my watch, and it's 4.30. And I thought, man, I've got 45 minutes to get home, rinse off because I smell like a barnacle, and get back down into town and get on the bus and go drive two hours to see this volcano. 
So I went ahead and did it, and it turned out to be the longest night of my entire life. We piled up in the bus and headed towards Messiah, which is a small town that's kind of northeast of where I am. Along the way, we got stopped by the Army. They searched the vehicle, making sure we didn't have any contraband or refugees, I guess. Sure enough, we were good. So as we're driving, everyone's kind of looking at their watch and doing math and figuring out that we're getting close because we had heard that the gate closed at 7.30 in the evening. And we were on pace to be there at like 7.40. So Francisco, who is driving the bus that I've mentioned before, that he tends to have a lead foot. And he's been driving for two years. I just learned that after this whole thing went down. But I learned he's only been driving for two years. So had I known that, I probably wouldn't have told him what I'm about to tell you that I told him. I'm at the back of the van. I'm the only one in the whole bus that speaks enough Spanish to communicate with Francisco. So I say, hey, Francisco. I said, we need to get there in a hurry. Get us there. He's like, okay. And that's all you have to say to Francisco. He looks for a reason to drive like a bat out of hell. So he puts it in high gear, full rabbit, and we're flying down the road. He's weaving in and out of traffic, and everyone's getting a little bit nervous. But finally we get there after one stop for gas and another stop for a potty break. I think it took like two hours and 20 minutes to get there. So we get there, we pull in, and there is a line of cars as far as you can see. And people who have been there before, they've been before to look at this volcano before it's gotten semi-active. And they say, man, we're a long way away from the volcano. So we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. We finally get there, and seeing the volcano was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. You look down there, and it's just glowing red lava, just bubbling around, sloshing. It sounds like the ocean. You can feel the heat coming out of it, and you can smell the sulfur. And uh, it's just cool. I don't know how in the world they think it's okay to let people crowd around a volcano, but for whatever reason, they do. So we check it out. We're there for maybe 20 to 30 minutes. We get back in the van, and we leave. By this time, it's probably 10 o'clock. I don't know, 9, somewhere between 9 and 10. And we all decided that we're hungry. We want to stop somewhere to eat. So somebody gets on the Google. They find a place. We stop. And sure enough... It, I don't know why, but it always seems to be like this. Nicer restaurants that are kind of out away from town and off the side of the road are always, always empty. And when I say nicer, I'm talking about nice for Nicaraguan. So average plate, 9 to $10. So that's uh, considered a nice, nicer restaurant here. So we get in there. There's nobody in there. We go. We sit down. 20 minutes goes by. They come in to take our drink order. 20 minutes go by, they come back without the drinks, take our food order. 20 minutes goes by, they come back with our drinks. So now we're in it for an hour, we have our drinks, which are soon to be emptied, and still no food. Finally, the food comes out. We're all kind of grumpy. We scarf our food down, and we go. But I think the whole restaurant ordeal was about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. We get back in the van, and Francisco still feels the need to drive like he's trying to win the Indy 500. A couple of people kind of spoke up, told him to slow down, and then would kind of fall asleep, wake back up, and just heads just bouncing off the ceiling because he's hitting the bump so hard. Finally gets back into town. Everyone gets back to their vehicle, and I get back home. And it's middle of the night. I don't know, 1.30, 2.30. I think to myself, I've almost been up 24 hours. 
take a shower, get in bed, lights out. But I'll tell you what, the volcano was awesome. If you ever had a chance to go, I would highly recommend going. I think they call it like a sleeping volcano or something like that. And when you're up there, they make you turn all the cars around that are in the little parking area facing downward where the exit is. But it'd be a huge bottleneck if there were an emergency. But I must say, it'd be interesting to watch it all go down. Today is Nicaraguan Mother's Day. And it's a big holiday around here. They really celebrate it. They all get together, cook. Everyone hangs out with their families, which is not too dissimilar than Mother's Day in the States. I'm trying to think if it's bigger here. It might be a little bit bigger here. But it's definitely an ordeal. And so every third month on the third Friday they have a meeting at the church right in the middle of town and it's called like the gathering of the old people if you translate it into English it literally is gathering of the old people and so all the third generation people from San Juan which means I don't know how they classify it but these people are all old I mean 70 and up probably maybe 75 Um, and so my friends who own a hostel volunteered to come out and wait on these people and provide them with food and drinks and snacks and meals and stuff. So they gather at the church. They have a little service inside the church, and there's a big shaded area outside the church. And they set up tables and chairs, and everyone hangs out. There's a little DJ up there, and he plays music, and they get up there and dance, and they just have a really good time. And it was cool to see all the old people gather and, you know, they all know each other. They have all known each other their whole lives. And a lot of them probably don't like what the gringos doing to their town and what tourism is doing to it. But most of them are really friendly and they appreciate things that we do. And it was just cool to, to see that. You know, walking around through the crowd, I saw all kinds of people that I recognized. I saw the old ladies who work outside their doors cooking chicken dinners and selling chicken plates. I saw the mother of the barber. You know, a lot of these people have businesses in the front side of their house, so you're in there getting your hair cut, and you see the mom walk through, and the dad, and the daughter, and the grandson, and the son, they all kind of come and go. So you see all these people, and you recognize them, but you never see them all at the same place at the same time. But it was funny just to walk around and see everyone. There was probably about 150, 200 people there, and the oldest one was 110. It was um, a guy that I know that works at the hostel at my friend's own. It was his grandmother. 110 years old. I would like to try to get her recorded on the podcast. It would take some production work and some good editing because she doesn't know English and my Spanish is probably not good enough. So I might try to see if that's a possibility. I also saw Ruben, which I mentioned last show, that he lives right down the hill from me, and he plays a guitar, and I saw him there, and he has guitar, and he has harmonica, and his buddy had a trumpet and some maracas, and they were ready to go. So they were supposed to get up there on the stage and do a little ditty, but I ended up leaving before he got up there. But he was real happy to see me and shaking my hand and smiling. I told him that he needs to come up and record some music on my equipment. And if he does, you better believe that I'm going to post it. One thing that I noticed when I walked into the party was that everyone had on Mardi Gras masks. And I couldn't figure it out. All these little old ladies sitting around in Mardi Gras masks. And the few guys that were there some of them had them on too, but it was mainly the women. And I didn't know. I thought maybe it was some form of costume for Mother's Day. I don't know. So I asked my friend Eric. I said, hey, why are all these people wearing Mardi Gras masks? 
and Eric's from Nicaragua. About that time, my friend Gio, who's from Nicaragua, also walked up. He was kind of listening in. And Eric explained to me, like, they just tried to bring them just little trinkets, like little gifts. It can be a mask. It can be plastic beads. And I said, it doesn't have anything to do with Mardi Gras. The mask has no significance. He's like, oh, no, no, no. About that time, Gio chimed in and said, yeah, we had a bunch of leftover Mardi Gras masks from a Mardi Gras party, and so we we brought them. And I thought that was pretty funny. Like, they just... They just wanted to have like a little gift, and Eric said, "Yeah, I mean, they uh, any little thing that they can take home with them or take back. Like they don't get free stuff very often. It it it's just means a lot to them just to have something for free." And so they're just sitting around talking, carrying on conversations in their Mardi Gras masks. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I think that as people get older, they tend to appreciate little. Little trinkets and little gifts more than the average person. I know that, like, if somebody tried to give me one of those, I, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't even take it. Like, I wouldn't want it. It'd be something I'd have to deal with and store and then move and throw away. But I guess you get to a certain point when you don't even think about that. You're like, oh, it's a little gift. How thoughtful. One thing I don't understand, and this is just an observation that I've made in my travels recently. There's people who can sit there on an airplane and do absolutely nothing. I don't understand that. They may be looking at the screen in front of them a little bit, but they don't have headphones on, so they can't hear it. They don't change the channel. Whatever comes up there, they'll just kind of look at it, and they just kind of look around and stare. Because I'm the complete opposite on an airplane. I've got to either be sleeping, listening to music, listening to a podcast, or watching something on my iPad. Or reading a book. But never can I sit there and just stare off into space. I don't understand how people's mind can work like that. And I'm kind of jealous of it. Because it would be very nice just to sit there and contemplate things without going crazy. I don't know if it's a mind trait or what. But it just blows my mind to see people do that. More power to them. And I'm sure they don't understand the busybody people like me. Well, I don't know if you heard that, but Ronnie just pulled up. I walked out and I talked to him for a second. And he's not supposed to be here. He's supposed to be in a different city with his wife's mom and his baby for Mother's Day. But they came back early last night because the baby's sick. Baby had a fever. Baby's crying. So they came back. Ronnie drives up to the house. Says he needs to borrow $100 because his baby is sick. And he can pay me back 50 bucks per pay period. I said, yeah, man, that's fine. No worries. Gave him 100 bucks. I said, are you going to the health center today, which is the Centro de Salud? It's like the government-run clinic here in San Juan del Sur that's completely free to the user. So he said, no, they're not open on Sunday. Or maybe he said the care isn't good there. I didn't really understand him. He was talking real fast. I could tell he was in a hurry. Either way, he wasn't going to go there. He was going to go out to Romanzo, which is a different little village about 20 minutes away. I said, is there a doctor out there? And they have these people here. I've talked about it before that I kind of call witch doctors. And they're not doctors, but they're not witches, but they're kind of religious, but it has nothing to do with the Christianity that I know. But they'll take plants and they'll like dip it in oil and they'll rub it on their back and they'll bless them and they'll chant and they'll do crazy stuff like shine a light in their eyes. And a vast majority of people that live here believe in this thing. And Ronnie said last time he was sick, I took him there and they fixed it. And that's something that's so foreign to us, first-worlders. 
thinking something like that could never work. But I don't know. They believe in it. They've been doing it for years. But I just can't. I can't believe it. But honestly, there's a big part of me that just thinks it's coincidence. I don't know, but we'll see. I'll report back on Ronnie's son tomorrow. Well, I won't report back on Ronnie's son tomorrow, but I will get the report back from Ronnie tomorrow about his son. Well, yeah, you get it. I think that's going to wrap up today's show. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be gone for the next two weeks, so probably won't get any shows. I'm going to go to Mexico, uh, Mexico City for a couple nights, and then Cozumel. I haven't been in Cozumel in probably 15 years. Man, that sounds old. Maybe 20, 20 years since I've been to Cozumel? Wow, that will make you feel old. Anyway, I'll have plenty of stories uh, going with a good group of people. And so I'll come back and have some good stuff to share. Anyway, thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. We'd love to have you check out the website, nikasaleandsurf.com, or send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Thank you.